All right. Good morning. Today is Thursday, January 27, 2022. Another Thursday and the end of January. And we're rolling right along. Uh, today, Class 32, um, Life and Teachings of Nisargadatta Maharaj. Uh, beautiful stuff, actually. And we'll start where we ended last time, uh, Passage 141. <clears throat> Moving towards the uh, full 200 teaching quotes here. There are a couple of typos, and uh, I'll work with um, trying to translate some of the translated original here in English back to what could be closer to or something like the original Sanskrit or Marathi, because some of the words, the, the, the original words are so important. Nobody, only the scholars do interlinear with the original words uh, side by side with the translated, but uh, it helps a lot. So, okay, passage 141, Nisargadatta said, Attachment destroys courage. The giver is ready to give. The taker is absent. Freedom means letting go. People just do not care to let go everything. They do not know that the finite is the price of the infinite as death is the price of immortality. Spiritual maturity lies in the readiness to let everything go. The giving up is the first step. But the real giving up is in the realizing that there's nothing to give up, for nothing is your own. It's like deep sleep. You do not give up your bed when you fall asleep. You just forget it. So the self-weakening associated with grasping and aversion and attachment, craving, clinging. So Buddhist craving and clinging, tana, upadana, chain links in the chain of paticca sumapada meaning dependent origination meaning how we stay reincarnating how we stay in the realm of birth and death the realm of birth and death meaning dimensional multidimensional incarnation reincarnation but also birth and death in the mind the birth and death of the arising and passing away of continual thought form kalpana or presumption assumption thinking feeling judging, preferencing, wanting, not wanting, liking, not liking, all that. Not simply it continues proliferating, but we continue remaining attached and stuck associated with that arising. A deeper attachment gives rise to its arising, and then secondary attachments keep us in, in, in the world of preference. I can't accept that. I can't hear that. It isn't so. I must, I need to. Uh, All sorts of very, um, very binding patterns uh, of thinking, feeling, arising, and preference, and deep mind assumptions, particularly about sense of self. And then our reaction to them, which further binds um, when there's strong attachment. That destroys courage. It goes against will. It actually is a weakening. And then there's giving and taking. Um, The maintenance of attachment is a desire to keep holding. I hold my attachment. I uh, am just this way. That's just the way I am, is easy to say. 
so the great, so thus in the giving and the taking, um, we see uh, a means, he's saying, as a means of being free of this attachment and restoring courage. The restoration of will, restoring will, restoring courage. So for a giver, they're ready to give. For a taker, taker is absent. What does it mean? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, he's certainly talking about the, the path of detachment, restoring courage, associated with giving. The mind of the giver, <clears throat> the mind of the giver is the one willing to let go uh, for a greater gain. Let go of this to gain that. But the that comes from the giving up of this. As for the taker, I don't know. <laughs> There's no taker uh, in the giving up because the, the self is empty. But you can also say that there, there's a problem with the, the mind of one or when we're stuck in wanting to take, um, we've lost ourselves. In any case, freedom means letting go, vairagya, renunciation, moksha. So mukti means vairagya. And so, yes, renunciation, detachment, dispassion, disinterest, um, letting go as much as possible <clears throat> is a means to mukti and freedom and ultimate, you know, complete and perfect awakening. People don't care to let go of everything, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's why we go cycling in, you know, rebirth in, in 31 planes or seven dimensions. <clears throat> Even a higher self hasn't finished with identity yet. So higher self says, you know, like, Ra, we become light, not yet ready, but on the way to dropping identification as light. Let go of even that, Ident- you know, unified self-consciousness, as Ra said. So letting go of everything is the first the outer letting go and then the inner letting go. First we let go of unneeded, <clears throat> I mean, again, it's a matter of degree, up to you. Uh, you want a steep or you want a non-steep ascensional path, path to awakening or seven chakra development. Choose the gradient of your path. Those that, you know, want as quickly as possible um, will choose a steep gradient and thus a very radical life expression of letting go of material attachments and desires and social attachments and desires to relationship and then mental spiritual attachments and desires to you know mental you know spiritual powers cities or high states you know i want to be in the formless jhanas i want bliss i want magical power i want contact with my et family i want um, paranormal experience this spiritual materialism um uh, has to be dropped as well. So we choose how how radically we'll do letting go, and that is the relative gradient of the path of ascension of seven chakra transformation. Fine. And so he's saying there's a cost here. If you want that, there's a cost. The cost is letting go of this to get to that. So the price of the infinite is the finite. Letting go of attachment as the finite is required to uh, leap into the boundless and make it your home, as Chong Tzu said. The, if you seek immortality, conquering death uh, as freedom from death, right? Inscription in the Book of Life, in the, in the, as Yeshua said, 
as uh, true Christians would know. Likewise, harvestability to fourth density, positive, <laughs> where actually death is now at last understood as no death. In fourth density, yes, sure, there's incarnation in fourth density that ends in space-time. But to me, there's no death. Because what is death? Death is the belief in death. Death is not the leaving, the ending of a physical body. Death is all we think about death to be. Not simply a physical body. Gautama died, but he was in the deathless. Mm -hmm. So they say, you know, Nibbana is the deathless. But Gautama died. He died. Well, did he die? And what was his mind uh, in what you're, through what you yourself as an outsider are calling his death? Hmm? You don't know. You don't know his mind? <laughs> so be careful of foolish people who criticize without knowing the mind of the one they're criticizing. This is a real common thing here in the Valley of uh, Folly. So if you want to, if you want such it, one has to give up all attachments other than um, the desire for Satchit. <laughs> if you want the deathless or immortality, immortal, non-mort, immort, no more mort, no more mort means um, an awareness that there is no death. It doesn't mean freedom from the demise of this physical body, which is, you know, all forms decay. So... This body and higher dimensional bodies decay over time and then are, you know, dropped. But immortality really is uh, awareness of what I is. Spiritual maturity lies in readiness to let everything go. Yeah, absolutely. But but in that in the letting go of the inessential, one um, mind becomes at one with the essential, and the, at at one alignment with the essential, alignment with the essential is spiritual maturity in my book. And so, and nobody knows what <clears throat> spiritual maturity is. It's a word commonly not used by um, spiritual teachers. Giving up is the first step, right? It's not the last step. <laughs> Before the, 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 in the first step, there is a, you know, hardened sense of subjective identity and a hardened belief in the apparent solidity of that which is being given up and pain emotional pain, at the detaching. That's not the last step, it's just the first step. But the real, the real giving up <clears throat> is realizing there's nothing to give up, for nothing is your own. So there are two points. Uh, there's nothing to give up, meaning that which appears to or is experienced as a giving up is not a thing to be given up, it's not a substantial to be given up. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. So, the things that are given up, which um, are basically attachments to entanglement or engagement with, with objects, nama rupa. So, giving up the rupa, giving up the nama. <clears throat> giving up the attachments to nama rupa, nama name, rupa form, to certain patterns of, of physical engagement. I have to have this, I, ha I can't have that. I mean, I'm not, you know, I have my own, okay? <laughs> so, I'm not finished either. But at least I think I know what this is about here. And then attachment to uh, Nama or worldview, attachment to view. I mean, the Gautama, you know, talking about the different forms of Tana, Tana Baba, and uh, craving for sensual pleasure, 
craving for becoming, craving for non-becoming, craving for view. And so all these forms of craving, tanna, which lead to upadana clinging or, cra- or attachment, <clears throat> um, need to be given up. And yet they're not really substantial. They're also empty. So that's, there's nothing to give up. But you can't know that, you know, all of a, all of a sudden. Nothing is your own. There's no, you know, anatta is true. Uh, atma is anatta. And so atta is anatta. And so we don't own anything, uh, but we want to, hope we do. <laughs> we want to feel we do. It's like deep sleep. You don't give up your bed. You just forget it. And so, yeah, the greater detachment is uh, a forgetting of the whole endeavor associated with attaching and uh, holding, keeping. <clears throat> it's just the, the, the interest, just this passion, uh, disinterest as vairagya. I mean, in my sense of the higher levels of detachment or letting go is that one recognizes there's nothing there anyway. There's not even anything there. It's substantially, it's not substantial. 142, it's like said, the innermost light shining peacefully and timelessly in the heart is the real guru, the satguru. All others merely show the way. So the true, the satguru, the real guru is within, higher self, of course. As a sub sub logos, the voice of Godhead, the voice of the Absolute, <clears throat> it comes through the voice of Atman, and that's the true self, and that's the real Guru. And every physical Guru or human teacher shows the way at best, right? That self heals the self. Same kind of thing. 143. Until man can free himself from false identifications, from pretensions and delusions of various kinds, he cannot come face to face with face to face with eternal verity that is latent within his own self. So <clears throat> we've got uh, problem and solution and uh, goal. The problem is not being free from false identifications, pretensions, and delusions of various kinds. The uh, goal, the solution, is coming face-to-face with eternal verity. And the nature of that is latent within, within his own self. Within his own self doesn't mean is his own self. Very interesting, subtle distinction there, which I'll explain in a moment. So, the first step, or the working of vairagya, or detachment, or letting go, or renunciation is not only from bodily, physical, interpersonal uh, objects or people, but also from mental patterns, kalpana. Particularly, uh, the, you see, the basis of ashrava and klesha, klesha and ashrava in Buddhism, as poison, as taints and, uh, you know, fetter, the, the ten fetters, <clears throat> the uh, ashravas and the kleshas, the defilements, the outflows, the festering sores, the distortions of mind and all sorts of bad tendencies or harmful tendencies, um, are, are arise, they arise from a deeper level, a deeper level of belief, of core belief, 
of uh, presumption, of pretension. Pretension actually is presumption. Is you know my read here. False identifications, believing it to be real, we fashion preference. Believing the securing of preference to be essential, we form attachment. Uh, believing that uh, the securing of what I prefer must be done for my well-being, we reinforce the attachment and do clinging and then grasping at aversion and hold on to and feel I can't let go, dot, dot, dot. I mean, like we were talking before about people arguing in discussion groups while they don't want to investigate, right? Condemnation without investigation. Projection. You are uh, terrified. You are uh, harmful. Not wanting to consider their own biases or their own feelings, their own perspectives. This is a kind of self-deception, projective um, accusation, but very much comes from not knowing uh, where the person's coming from. Where where am I at right now? What's going on with me right now? How am I feeling in, right now? And so <clears throat> all of that ultimately comes out of uh, a deeper level. Uh, distorted self-esteem, distorted self-image, damaged self-esteem. Uh, distorted self-image is second chakra blockage. Damaged sense of self is second chakra blockage. Uh, impairment to self-esteem is second chakra blockage. All of these associated with self and a presumption of how uh, how reality is, actually. It's a certain kind of unstated ontology. Um, objects are real. Uh, I am real. I am... Uh, I need this, I can't stand that. That's true. It's eternal. It's abiding. They don't think it's eternal, but actually they act as if it's unchangeable while it's ever-shifting. False identification. Uh, I am, you know, the Buddhist monk saying, anger arises in this mind versus I'm terribly angry, you made me so angry. Big difference. Anger arises in this mind versus you've made me terribly angry and now I'm terribly angry because of you. Big, big difference. And so the false identification um, is, is a false, is not simply distortions to identity, but also um, distortion, mistaken view regarding, uh, it's basically, like Gautama said, <clears throat> taking the impermanent as permanent, taking the insubstantial as substantial, taking the stressful as not stressful. The, the, these are some of the false identifications at a very deep level, actually. Taking the unreal as real, taking the inessential as essential, uh, taking the changeable as non-changing, Pretension, delusion of various kinds, the, the planet of the self-deceived, <laughs> I say. This is the 3D repeater is the race of the self-deceiver. Now, they may be decent and amiable, but they're uh, muchly self-deceiving to the extent they don't love truth, to the extent they don't find answers within. So if you don't do that, you can't come face-to-face -face with eternal verity. Eternal means forever, verity is truth. Well, that's called sat. Absolute truth, sat like tatsat, 
Om Tat Sat. That's eternal, forever, deathless, right? Eternal equals uh, deathless. Eternal means never dying. Deathless, truth, or Sat. The Sat within the Aham. Mm-hmm. The Sat within the, the, the Atman. And so they're not the same. Atman is not Satchit or not Sat, not Tat Sat. Om Tat Sat is not Atman, but Atman uh, is <laughs> uh, nearly there. Atman is sort of dancing on the sun. Paramatman uh, joins in the sun. 144. Once you beyond, meaning you are beyond the quote, I am the body idea, you'll find that space and time are in you, not you in space and time. Only you, once you, once you understand this, the main obstacle to realization, yana, is removed. Uh, Nichnanda, uh, Nichnanda said, you know, the yani is no longer in the world, but realizes the world is in him. Like that. <clears throat> Same. The outer is, we are not uh, a subject in an outer uh, external field. The, the, the so-called external field is made by the subject. So there's no outer inner. The outer is a projection of the unawakened inner. When that's relatively, the inner, the, the seer is relatively awakened, then the outer field is realized as made by I. Then if there's no more outer, there's actually no duality of outer inner. Therefore, there's no more inner. If it's all inner there's no and there's no outer, then there's no outer inner. Right? You can't have dark if you don't have light. So if you don't have light, you don't have dark. And so if you can't, you can't have yin when there's no yang. Or you can't have yang when there's no yin. So the yang is the doer or the seer, the agent. And the yin is what, you know, it appears to be doing and seeing. The field and the means to connection with the field is the yin. But if the yin is seen as the yang, then there's no more yin and yang, there's just the yang, but if there's just the yang and there's no yin, then there's not a duality or a polarity anymore, back to all is one. Then what is the nature of that resolved yang-yin, yin-yang complex? Then that returns to its source. That's Paramatman. So, once you understand that, the main main obstacle, not, not realization, is achieved. And that's, you know, very subtle teaching here. Self-realization is step number one, not the last step. Atman is not the goal, it's the first goal. It's not the ultimate goal, it's the first goal. It's the main obstacle to the goal. Um, letting go is essential, but not the last step. Atman, Jivatman realization is not the end. It's uh, the beginning. 145. Happiness comes from the self and can be found in the self only. Find your real self and all else will come with it. To be happy, you need nothing except self-knowledge, which is uh, gnosis or uh, yana. So uh, happiness here is not the temporary happiness of um, satisfying desire. It's not associated with desire it's not associated with subject-object. It's not associated. It's a non-dual well-being. It's a non-dual condition, which of course is therefore not a condition. <laughs> it's actually closer to equanimity. 
It, it's uh, again, you know, if you ever see real great teachers, they are not smiley. They do not do publicity headshots. Like the real ones don't. <laughs> Their followers may want, and depending on the teacher, uh, they may uh, do along with their publicist, <laughs> the headshot. But uh, they, uh, and you could doubt about them, or I do. You know, what teacher is swayed by his publicist, mm-hmm, by his students? The teacher that's swayed by his students has got a problem, it seems to me. Depending, depending. But uh, this happiness is not the happiness that comes from acquiring or removing or uh, living uh, uh, action in a successful desire acquisition, desire, you know, grasping and aversion. The, the grasping, successful, let's just say grasping and aversion in line uh, or in alignment with desires and um, attainment or rejection, giving a temporary well-being, happiness, pleasure, possibly even joy. That's not this sukkah. He's talking about a sukkah that that, uh, lasts, that is unconditional, unconditional sukkah. And um, find yourself, what else comes... It, and self-knowledge is sort of, you know, turn the light within the light of attention and um, find what you are. And that's, you know, yeah, there's a huge well-being. As far as I know, the self, I don't know, do I, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? As far as I know what the heck he's talking about, um, there is a great ease in freedom from desire that is qualitatively different and absolutely better than the burning, impermanent quality of happiness or pleasure or even joy that's associated with uh, grasping and attachment, grasping aversion and attachment. I mean, normally one doesn't find joy uh, in getting rid of the unpreferred, but it can be, you know. I've had this weight on my back for years and finally I'm free. I feel joy. It's okay. Everybody, you know, is a self-observer, self-reporter. Um, and so one person says, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, it's a joy to meet you. It's a joy to meet you, George. It's a joy to meet you, George. Well, that doesn't look like joy to me, but that person, you know, what am I going to say? You're not in joy. You're happy to meet him. And maybe you want to exaggerate it uh, because for some reason you have some reason. But you know, what do you do with that? He thinks, oh, it's a joy, it's a joy, it's a real joy to meet George. Well, okay, <laughs> that doesn't look like joy to me, but you know, whatever. That's what you say. So, but uh, even real joy um, that's associated with grasping and aversion, uh, craving and clinging, attachment, um, has a certain burning quality to it. Burning in the sense that it, it's very unstable. It's lovely. Joy is joy. Yes, sir. And it's unstable and it passes away and degrades and that's the end of that. And that leads to a certain dukkha, actually. This is not that. And um, so the happiness, the sukkha of freedom from desire, distinct from the sukkha of any form uh, coming from successful acquisition or fulfillment of desire. Very different. 
146. Neither action nor feeling nor thought can express sat or reality. There is no such thing as expression of reality. So reality as tat sat, um, doing, feeling, thinking, can't express it. Now you can say there's no such thing as expression of tat sat. Let's just say tat sat is the Sanskrit for reality in English. Uh, nothing can express it. It can't be expressed. Tatsat can't be expressed. Now, the Buddhist view is a little different, and some people could accuse him here of saying, this, this guy is a radical dualist, right? God is uh, transcendent, not imminent, right? This is the uh, argument in the church for the last 2,000 years, Western church, and maybe even Islam, God, and maybe Judaism too. Is the supreme imminent or transcendent? Imminent means in all, a, so the true nature of all. God is everywhere. Or uh, transcendent. God is nowhere, not in the material world. Well, I think it's both, as usual. The answer is both. So, infinity, intelligent infinity. Uh, it seems to me it's imminent and transcendent simultaneously. I mean, you've got to throw away duality and polarities of, of opinion to know the the transcendent or the essential. The essential is not um, known in conceptual uh, polarity, the polarity of conceptual thought. It is, it isn't. Affirmation, negation. Nagarjuna got it, and very few people got Nagarjuna. Nagarjuna said, you know, <laughs> the middle way, or reality, or, uh, you know, Nibban, or essential teaching should be, or the nature of sunya, as the nature of, of the deathless or nibban, it's neither affirmation nor negation, beyond affirmation and negation. To say it is, to say it isn't, are both wrong. So you can say it is and it isn't, and since you're saying both, it is and it isn't, then it's neither. So is the intel is intelligent infinity, one infinite creator, imminent in all or transcendent? Uh, apart from all, yes, both. Thus, neither. Thus, you know, view doesn't capture it. That's why he says there's no such thing as expression of reality. Because Om uh, Tatsat, as a stand-in for, you know, what Paramatman knows, or the condition or, or reality of intelligent infinity, or God, the Logos, uh, it doesn't express... <laughs> This whole notion of retention expression, holding outwardly uh, opening, closing o- closed open, right? Uh, steady state and then expression, reception, transmission, all that's not of ta- uh, tatsat. Um, tatsat is not, doesn't, doesn't act. Um, it's neither action nor, it's both action and non-action, it's the source of light, okay? So if you're talking about the source of light, the source of light is can't be understood as expressing. It's not expressive. Yet to say that it's not here, I, it seems to me a mistake as well. So neti neti, you know? Om uh, Sat is everywhere and nowhere. And thus, you know, <laughs> drop the words. Neti neti, that's the point. Since it's, everywhere and nowhere, in all and apart from all, uh, the nature of light 
and way beyond or be prior to light, all conceptual designation fails. It's just so severely uh, uh, limited, or severely uh, inadequate. So, all right. For 147, just like the wood produces fire, which is not wood, so does the body produce mind, which is not body. Now, you can blame and say he's a materialist here, but I don't think that's the case. The body produces mind, which is not body. Well, by interaction, you know, basically what you've got is Vijnana consciousness, which is really six chakra and very much of the nature of Atman. <clears throat> Vijnana is, is basically um, unified self-consciousness. It's the field of subjective awareness, the subjective field of awareness, the field of awareness contracted into a, in a subjectivity identified with the seven, seven bodies, the seven energies, seven chakras and center, seven fields. <clears throat> so that, that's consciousness. But then you've got mind. And that mind is um, very much of association with the physical 3D body. Right? So, Vijnana, uh, subject, what the fifth skanda, uh, consciousness, uh, is essentially subjectivist with identity and memory. Uh, <clears throat> it, ident- it is product, product of identification with the seven uh, chakras, seven rays, seven energy fields of the seven chakras. Mind, body, spirit, complex. Mind, body, body, mind, body, spirit, beingness, totality, complex. So the seven dimensional energy fields, which are light, which is sentient, uh, generate some kind of identification <laughs> where there's something called identity, which is called subjectivity. And that's eighth fetter conceit. <clears throat> that's very close to or akin to or the same as Vijnana. Even Vijnana is born of Avidya, said Gautama, right? Of course. So, subjectivist, subjective consciousness, separative sense of self, um, is not produced by body. But there are other levels of awareness or consciousness or, you know, subjective consciousness beyond the field of subjective consciousness, such as manas and buddhi. <clears throat> and, you know... Uh, I think the original word for mind is probably manas here. So, nama, uh, a rupa body produces manas, or rupa produces nama, naming. And so, the conscious mind we're using now, identified with this body, this lifetime, is produced very much in association by this body. It's not produced wholly by the body. It's It's co-produced by the body. <laughs> it's not like, uh, it's clearly not, uh, without the body, there's no mind. Oh, that's a materialist position. Meaning, there's no such thing as mind, there's just brain, mind, and so-called personality. Apparent, you know, the concept of mind, the experience of a subjective personality, a subjective-ness, subjectivity, is a construct called mind, produced only by the body. When the body falls away, then thus that construct called mind also falls away and we go to annihilation. That's the annihilationist view. That's the materialist view. That's the charvaka view. That's the heresy of materialism. That's not what he's saying. He's saying actually that uh, by association with this rupa of this body comes manas, comes the 
normal identifications we have. Uh, I'm Scott sitting in a room here. I like this and I don't like that. That's the mind produced by this body or with this body at this time, which is not of this body. But it, it surely is not of its source or it's, it's not um, yet aware of its source. 148. The death of the mind is the birth of wisdom. Beautiful quote. The death of manas is the birth of panya or prana, a prajna, Sanskrit. Got to hold to Sanskrit here. So the, uh, the death of manas is the birth of prajna. Okay. Well, yani has no mind, said Nityananda, verse 1, Chittakashkita. The yani has no mind. They um, don't um, identify with the, with the lower, with the, the nama rupa function, the function of nama doing rupa, the sense of uh, subject object. And also that the, the, the mind, um, there, there's a clear awareness that I stands apart from mind or that this one here is not this mind here. And now, again, that can go to psychological <clears throat> uh, dissociation, psychopathological dissociation, right? Dissociative identity disorder, psychosis, schizophrenia, for sure. Um, but that's not, these guys are not all schizophrenic dissociatives, if you hadn't noticed. So psychologists, you know, are also bought a bunch of lies. There's a lot of great truth in psychology, and there are also a lot of lies as well. So... Be careful of uh, humans in formation, earth humans, because they come up, you know, uh, it's a fertile field um, proliferating, uh, you know, <laughs> grain and weeds, <clears throat> um, beautiful fruit and poison fruit. So be careful. So the death of the belief that manas is a hum. Uh, is a birth of wisdom discernment. The discernment needed to realize I am not this body-mind um, is a so-called death of mind and a movement through uh, its fifth ray. So the death of mind is the birth of wisdom. <clears throat> the uh, the progressive weakening or, or clearing of lower triad blockages, which here are all sorts of patterns of craving and clinging and attachment, all sorts of misidentifications and presumptions, wrong views of self, uh, distorted self-view, and uh, hardened uh, attachments, preferences, assumptions, presumptions, pretensions, self-deception. The clearing of that field uh, is done by, led by fifth ray wisdom, absolutely led by uh, purified light or love light, green-blue. 149, the mind will set itself right as soon as you give up all concern with past and future and live entirely in the now. And this is a teaching that um, is commonly misused in the West, in my humble opinion. Uh, One has to be careful. If one sitting, you know, there are some. It's easy to be apparently um, in the present moment while one is actually actively avoidant of consideration that is that is very important. One can 
do spiritual bypass that uh, leads to the person believing I'm living entirely in the now. Well, fuck, man. You think you're living entirely in the now? Would you ever claim such an arrogant... Don't you realize how arrogant that is? To say, I live fully in the now? Man, you're so blind. (laughs) How can you say, I'm fully healed. I'm living entirely in the now. I'm totally awakened. I'm finished with the path. I'm enlightened. Man, you're a dummy. You are just a dummy. Don't you know that? People who make these absolutist statements, fully healed, fully present, fully clear, fully awakened, fully developed, fully informed, fully free, completed, finished, done, over. (laughs) They're very... 99.9% who talk that way are not. And then the one who talks that way uh, and is, hardly you won't hear him or her. (laughs) They will not be public, publicly stating it. It's uh, mouth to ear uh, in a small group in a forest somewhere. And so uh, don't presume to live entirely in the now and don't try to live in the now um, in the service of avoidance. Avoiding what? Avoiding some matter associated particularly with the past and the future, you know? If if a locomotive is coming at you down the tunnel, it's a big light and a big big thunderous noise of uh, some locomotive barreling down on you, you might want to consider your future. You want to, if you want to be wiped out physically, then that's fine too. But if you'd like, if you're caring for other people, uh-huh, if there's responsibility for others, truly uh, a danda, a dharma, a obligation, if indeed one has duty to others, you better damn well rightly consider past and future as needed for sure and that's one reason that um those that seek a uh, more uh, the seeking you know liberation in the here and now <clears throat> as gautama said of some arhats and, and seekers at the time that's why they renounce family and um the home life they leave the home they become left home people and uh, live in the monastery and then leave the monastery. Uh, the yogi uh, seeking only moksha uh, can rightly give up concern with past and future quite, you know, quite fully because they don't have any responsibilities to take care of anybody but themselves. It's a big difference. And the more you want the rightful freedom to forget about past and future, the fewer obligations and duties you must uh, have in relation to others. Meanwhile, if you have uh, complex relationships, family life, (laughs) children, partner, parents to take care of, then uh, there is something called shirking responsibilities or uh, not doing your danda or running away, and uh, that's not a good idea. And so... You may have to buckle down and simply uh, accept the testing of duty in the relationship, right? The three forms of mar- par- partnership, marriage, and no salar. Uh, there's lots of duty, you know. You're going to pay. You, you want partnership? you got to pay the cost of responsibility and duty. You want sex and companionship? Uh, great. That's nice. Um, we must pay a price called 
obligation, duty, responsibility to take care of that other person. You want to get, you better give. Got to give. If you don't give and you try to only get, uh, you get smashed <laughs> karmically somehow. Everybody knows that. So uh, I think this teaching has to be conditioned very uh, carefully. Yes, sure. Um, when one is no longer worried about past and future, one's not. One is moving out of uh, attachment to memory, of course, and that's associated with being free from identity, right? Dropping memory and identity, six to seven. So, um, but as we rightly, uh, timely, drop, give up concern over concern or attachment to concern with. You know, there's rightful concern and un, unrightful or wrong, you know, sama. <laughs> there's, there's right concern and wrong concern. There's rightful wise concern and there's distorted harmful concern. And so rightful concern with past and future is necessary for most everyone. And that also includes... Um, you know, uh, understanding childhood and past life origins of um, emotional disturbance and, and attachments and patterns and you know, psychopathology, the uh, formation of our patterns and how we're stuck now to some degree, how we've lived our lives, this life, as being critically based in the past and decisions and perspectives from them. That's called life review. So... Don't tell me life review is unimportant. It's very important. On the other hand, um, if you um, seek to be free of, of your personal life and lives, then yeah, you can drop everything, leap into the boundless, and seek to make it your home. But you've got to be real careful about spiritual bypassing. Um, so figure it out yourself. 150. The way to truth lies through the destruction of the false. To destroy the false, you must question your inveterate beliefs. Of these, the idea that you are the body is the worst. With the body comes the world. With the world, God, who is supposed to have created the world, and thus it starts fears, religions, prayers, sacrifices, all sorts of systems, all to protect and support the child that man has frightened out of his wits by monsters of his own making. Realize that you are cannot you are cannot be born, or what realize that what you are cannot be born or die, and with the fear gone, all suffering ends. This is a super generalization, and um, yeah, of course, um, where we still hold to the false, we um, have rejected and cannot accept the truth. So yes, the destruction of the false is particularly the recognition that the false is false, or what we believed actually is false, or what we thought is substantial is not, what we thought was solid is a dream, what we thought was great is not great, what we thought is me is not me, what we thought is necessary is not necessary, what we thought, where we thought we were well, we realized we're not. Mm -hmm. I thought I was living fully in the moment. I thought that just stopping my thoughts was the way to nirvana. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought I was free, but I see I've got a lot of pain. I thought I was finished with that, but I guess I'm not. 
There's a lot of disillusionment, you know, rightful disillusionment, useful spiritual disillusionment, detachment from the false along the way. The way that keeps growing um, understanding of true or recognition of the true. So to destroy the false, we're talking about wrong view also here. Question your inveterate, inveterate, inveterate means inveterate beliefs. There's a couple of typos here. Vet is actually Latin for aged, your old, long-held beliefs. Ultimately, we don't even know the fullness of our beliefs. We have so many beliefs, deep, deep mind assumptions about the nature of self and preference regarding um, definitions of this I. You know, beliefs about self is, I'm this way and I'm not that way. I need this and I don't need that. I can take this only to a certain degree. I can't take that. Uh, we're full of them. And we don't know most of that. We know some, but much we don't know. So uh, when, we're in, when we recognize there's some distress, when we're unwell, when our life... I Telephone call. Uh, pause. All right, back again. Thank you for waiting. Uh, passage 150, uh, destroying the false. To destroy the false, you must question your inveterate, old, long-held beliefs. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's the sadhana of aham vichar, what am I, who am I. Uh, ultimately, that is sort of like a wedge uh, to split apart uh, or to break up some of those inveterate beliefs regarding identity. And uh, it can go as deep as one does that practice. And one would, I imagine, find all sorts of things along the way, like um, not only body identifications or identifications, misassumptions, assumptions about identity and, and personality, who I am and who I'm not, what I need and what I don't need, or, you know my way versus something else. Uh, but all sorts of other other matters would be uh, revealed along the way. So the idea, he says, you are the body is the worst. <laughs> um, that's the materialist view, and that's what the uh, elite, uh, so-called elite uh, human leadership wants all to embody or to adopt the view that I am body and um, YOLO and um, your ultimate happiness is uh, in material acquisition and social position. Thus goes the lie of the Charvakas. And um, that's a big problem. So then he criticizes you know, common uh, organized religion and says, with, this, with the body comes the world. Meaning, with the identification with body comes the world um, that appears to be um, separate from the I. And um, this sense that I am, uh, that, that I am, or I is, this very weak uh, billiard ball on the table. Um, subject to the slings and arrows of fortune, misfortune. I'm just a little 
uh, person in the big old, I'm a little girl in the big old world, that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm just a, a little one in this big world. Now, there are a lot of negative forces here, and we are very vulnerable physically. The body is extremely frail. I mean, really. Even the big, strong guys are super frail. Little microbes knock them down. So, this body is born to die. It's a, a temporary vehicle for sure. And so there is a real palpable, realistic experience of vulnerability. Um, but all sorts of dualistic, mistaken views or opinions arise from... I see identification with the body means that I'm not the world. Or that the world is not made by I. Or that there's a hard um, and irreconcilable or non-resolvable distinction between the inner and the outer. And thus world and self. And thus uh, body and personality or outer, inner, subject, object is seen as an inviolable, an eternal. It is an eternal. The outer is, you know, there's an outer and I am the inner. And I am with this body in this outer field of environment. Uh, From that, there's really normally no acceptance of the inner world or soul or um, the value, the, the, the value of inner development. Is, is certainly devalued, or there's a, a lower value put upon the inner inner development. So he's really criticizing organized religion, and uh, there was a lot of lot to be criticized. So with the body comes the world, with old God, supposed to have created the world, and thus it starts. Well, yeah, sure, there's a creation of the world. No, nah, doesn't he know that? Of course, but he's talking about all the uh, heavy distortions of religion whereby there's lots of fear and sacrifice and systems and fights and sectarianism and religious feuds. And he said, all to support and protect, protect and support the man that has gone frightened out of his wits by monsters of his own making. Uh, I would imagine that more people have uh, frightened themselves with monsters than we realize. It's more common. uh, It was more common in the past than today. It's more common with uneducated um, nations and peoples uh, than others, but not. But it's all over the place. Actually, there are a lot of a lot of people have all sorts of serious fears. I mean, I do have some fears. I have hopefully as realistic as possible, but um, a lot of people have unrealistic fears or fears of an imaginary threat, a fear that there's threat in the environment uh, when there isn't. There's some, but this is an exaggerated, uh, a perception of, ex- exaggerated perception of threat, a threat of an exaggerated, uh, perception of an exaggerated threat or a mistaken perception of a threat that isn't as great as they think or isn't there at all. But they think it is, and they think it's great. And so he's uh, the simple approach here is <laughs> realize that what you are cannot be born nor die, and with the fear gone, all suffering ends. Well, that's not quite true. Uh, dukkha goes on through six density. Dukkha, there's dukkha <laughs> until one's out of uh, the 31 planes, according to Gautama, and I'll go with that. 
So, uh, and he probably would too. It's it's just this is this may have been something that he said to some people. And you know, uh, gurus, uh, you know, wave their hands sometimes and say and that's the end of that. And it really can be criticized, but it's um, good enough at the time normally <laughs> for the people in the room. They're trying to deconstruct something in a stuck um, uh, devotee, commonly. But yeah, what you are is birth, is deathless. What you know, what I is is uh, tatsat. So I is tatsat, right? I is tatsat. That 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 won't be palpable, tangible, unless you've had some kind of breakthrough some kind of opening and then you will know yes I'm Tatsat I'm not fully living I'm not fully purified Tatsat or this I is not fully returned to Um Tatsat or Paramatman but I know what we're talking about here Um, this I is neither body nor mind nor subjectivist consciousness actually and there's a huge fear, lots of fear absolutely falls away um, with realizations. Let's go on. 151, almost at the end here. What the mind invents, the mind destroys. But the real sat is not invented and cannot be destroyed. Hold on to that over which the mind has no power. This is the same classical Vedanta position position that the real is neither born nor decays and dies. The real is not of change. What changes is not real. You can say it's apparently real. I say, of course, obviously, it's apparently real. It's experientially real, but it's essentially empty or illusory. Same. Maya is sunya and anichanata dukkha uh, are qualities of that uh, which is truly sunya or maya, maya as illusion, falsehood, sunya as empty. Uh, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. <laughs> uh, something's going on here. Uh, the apparent appearance, phenom- the apparent, uh, phenomenal, apparent phenomenal appearing apparent phenomenal appearing like looks like I got a body here looks like there's a room around me looks like there's a tree out there looks like uh, I have some memory of some my past and my imagining of a my future that's kind of real it's apparently real it's experientially real something's going on here I think something's going on here yeah it's a real illusion it's a real appearance and appearance is empty uh, but the real that is not empty, <laughs> uh, there's a genuine, let's just say there's a experientially real, um, whose nature is uh, whose nature is infinity. It's the limited, per- based on limited perception, we have limited belief and limited understanding and limited experience. Our experience is limited by our perception. And so our conception also is limited by our perception. There's perception of I, there's perception of that, there's perception of the interplay. That's the perception of experience. 
the nature of the experience is thus limited by the limit of the perceptions of the formation of the experience, meaning me and a thing inter- in with some interplay. All that is, you know, illusory to the extent that it's a very relative and limited um, situation. The perception is limited, the belief and understanding about it is limited, the fullness of the experience is limited, uh, but something's going on. But the, you know, tatsat as the real <clears throat> is not invented, not invented by manas, for sure, not discerned by buddhi, um, it is. And only the one that's free of identity can live in om tatsat. Of course, that's why it's called tatsat. So, you, you, one has to be free of, uh, you know, all ten fetters. <laughs> and the eighth fetter particularly of conceit, restlessness-based conceit, or selfhood, subjectivity, based in agitation, based on vibration. <laughs> vibration-based identity. Free of vibration-based identity. Hmm. Vibration is actually a perception of, vib- of vibration. Is light really vibrating, or is it just a perception that it's vibrating? I don't know. We become light. Is that true, or is that just a perception? Actually, it's a perception. Is the perception real? No. <laughs> it comes and goes. It's illusion. It's it, it's impermanent. It's relative. It comes and goes. It's partial. It's a partial, limited, impermanent, relative, and um, quite um, uh, conditional perception uh, that we become light. And thus, it's not uh, tatsat. And so, only only dropping identity goes to knowing tatsat, which is such it. Uh, and then finally, 152, go beyond the, quote, I am the body idea, and you'll find that space and time are in you and not you in space and time, similar to a quote before. And so, I am not the body, I am not the mind. And again, I think it's much more cool to say I is. I is not this body, I is not this mind. Uh, I have no doubt about that. (laughs) So, um, in any case, I hope it's useful. It's very interesting, I think. He's a great teacher. Next time we'll pick up at 153 and um, keep mm, walking, walking slowly along the way. So, I hope this was useful. Thank you again. Please take good care of yourselves every day, and good night.